Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Well, here we are, everybody. Episode number one at Let Freedom Reign podcast. There's been a ton of time and effort that has gone into the launch of this first episode. I have to thank God, first and foremost, for placing the horse in my path. There are many horsemanship mentors throughout my life that have fueled this podcast, and many of those mentors will be guests on future episodes. I'd like to take a second to thank my podcast mentor, Jeff, over at All Wrapped Up Podcast. I'd like to thank my family and friends. Your support is endless in pushing me towards this endeavor. Personally, I'm indebted to the horse for all the positive influence and opportunities the horse has presented in my life. Our goal here at Let Freedom Reign is to enrich the lives of others and bring awareness to the ability to heal through horsemanship. Should you find the content of this podcast valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen through would mean the world to us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Our first guest is Jeremy Sfietzer from Charlie Five Horsemanship, a program that believes in the power of horsemanship to challenge and inspire our nation's veterans to become leaders again, providing purpose, developing trust, and ultimately bringing them home. Over the next hour or so, Jeremy shares with us his life of service to the United States. We briefly discuss his military career and some of the challenge he faced transitioning back into civilian life. The horse played a very influential role in his recovery, and now he has used those experiences to help others. I hate to keep you all any longer. Here is Jeremy Sweetser. Jeremy, how the heck are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. We want to thank you first and foremost for making some time for Let Freedom Rain and, and sharing your story. Well, I'm, it's, I'm honored and, and it's a pleasure to be here. I, I'm glad you got a hold of me and we're, wanted to talk about how horses have the ability to change people's lives and, and how, what we're doing to try to be a part of that. No, I think you guys play a very, very impactful role and you guys got a lot of success coming down the road. Hopefully with this podcast, we'll be able to get you a little exposure and get some supporters on board for you. Well, I sure appreciate that. I appreciate it. The only, it's funny, I say, I can't thank you enough. I say it to everybody. I I say it so much, but I truly, I truly mean it. And somebody was telling me the other day, well, just tell them thank you and then give them results. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Yeah. No, I think, and I'm sure this will come up in conversation, but follow through is a big, big deal, right? We find a lot of people that want to do great things or their hearts are in the right place, but they either can't put it all together. They don't want to put in the work to put it all together. But Charlie Five is is making some huge strides in changing people's lives. And it's exciting to hear the story, you know, and it's exciting to to keep an eye on. Well, it's been exciting for us since the beginning. It's been been a whirlwind, that's for sure. A lot lot has changed and transpired since since we first started a couple of years ago and the evolution has been pretty cool just to watch where we started out from and, and where we're at now. So I'm really excited about, about the direction we're headed. 
No, it'll be great. And before we get too deep into the evolution of Charlie Five, why don't you share with folks a little bit about, you know, who you are and, and how you got to this point, you know, where you were raised and, and your experience with horses and all that. Okay. Well, um, I was, I was born in New Mexico. I grew up, my folks, my folks had horses when I was a kid and we just rode them, you know, we go ride them down the ditch bank or through fields and stuff like that. But we, I never really thought much about training them. And then I joined the military in 2000. Um, in November of 2000, I left for basic training and spent about 10 years total, just just short of 10 years in the military. And I went on multiple deployments and, and uh, came back and came back from overseas. I was Iraq, Kuwait, uh, mostly in the Middle East. Uh, came back and I think things really started to get difficult when I, they were difficult after I came home from, from Iraq, but it really didn't, it really didn't start to sink in until, until I got out of the military altogether. And that was about, let's say seven, so three years, three or so years um, after I came back from my last rotation. So it was uh after I got back from my last rotation and I got out altogether, I really started to notice how bad I was struggling just to try and be what people would call normal. I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't fit in anywhere. I had gone from being a guy that was dependent, depended upon for leadership and looked to for leadership and I was somebody, you know, I was, I had a title. I was Sergeant Sweetser and people relied on me. And then I, one day I took off the uniform, I put it away. And the next day I was just Jeremy. I was just some guy that walking down the street and that, I think that really messed with me. Um, it really messed with me when I got, uh, when I got done with that. So I spent, I spent quite a few years just Stuck in ruts. Couldn't seem as, it seemed like every time I'd pop up out of a rut, you know, I'd go along for a real short time and man, I'd be right back in the rut. And so I just, I had a real hard time, had a hard time doing different things from just going to the grocery store was a task. I was just so uncomfortable in my own skin going to the grocery store. I'd, I would avoid a checkout line where the lady was standing there with an open checkout line. And I'd go stand in line at the self checkout just so I didn't have to interact with people because I just felt so uncomfortable. It started to take its toll on, on my family and my wife and stuff like that. And the people around me, because they would always, you know, for example, they'd say, Hey, why don't we go to the movies? And I would, instead of just saying, you know what, I just don't feel up to going to the movies. Or just saying flat out movies make me uncomfortable because you're in a dark room with a bunch of people you don't know. <laughs> um, to, I would just get angry. And I'd fly off the handle and I would yell and scream and tell people that 
why don't they just leave me alone? And, and so I was really starting to, my inability to cope was really starting to take its toll on, on, uh, my family and my friends. And I really felt at the, when I hit bottom there, right. As I hit bottom, I really felt like I had, uh, I was a burden to the world around me. And it, 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 it got so bad. I had, I suffered some loss in there and I, I say suffered, but everybody has lost. My, my brother passed away unexpectedly. My aunt passed away pretty close to one another. And just that feeling, all that anxiety and, and pressure and, and depression just, just went through the roof. It was, it, it got so bad that to the point where I decided that I was going to go ahead take care of my family. And I, I think this is an important aspect that we, we overlook it when it comes to talking about suicide is that from the, the individual's perspective as, as someone that talking to people, they say, Oh, it's just so selfish. And it's just so that's just not the right way. And there's so, that's the coward's way out and this and that and the other. I think if they really understood what it meant to be at that point, the person that's suicidal, the people that I've talked to, at least, they're not trying to do the cowardly thing. In, in my case, and I can only speak for me, I can't speak for anybody else, even the people I have talked to. In my case, I was just trying to stop being a burden to those around me. And I was trying to give people like my wife, I was trying to give her the life that she could have with someone else because I knew things like divorce or stuff like that weren't weren't an answer. But if I just removed myself from the picture, if I just got out of it, if I left earth, that like with anyone else passes away, you never forget about them, but you it's easier to cope over time and you move on with life and that person's always there in your back of your mind, but they're not there in the middle of your everyday life, making it miserable like I thought I was. And so I hit rock bottom and, and I, I had a plan in place. I knew exactly what I was going to do. And it was just a matter of time. I was a ticking time bomb. I, I came across a program in Montana for veterans. It's a, real intense three-phase program um, that puts veterans on horseback in the wilderness. It's not, it's not just a pleasure ride through the woods. It's hard, intense, daily grind, just working, getting out there and, and taking care of your horses, and packing up horses and mules and riding for, you know, eight to, it was the longest day we did almost, 20 some over 20 hours one day i mean literally if we started at five o'clock in the morning and we didn't get into camp till till like two o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the morning so i mean we put some miles on these ponies in the back country and it forced me to look in and realize that i wasn't broken that I wasn't a burden to the people around me. It was my own self-doubt that was prohibiting me from doing the things that I 
I, I wanted to do or what my family wanted to do and stuff like that. So within that first phase of the program, man, it was a, it was an eye opener and how much it changed my life. It was incredible. So just in that first phase of the program, I had so much growth and then I had to return home. I had to return home and, and my wife was like, who's this guy? Probably for the better. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the better, I mean, it's had its challenges since, but, um, she's been like, who is this guy? She's waiting for the hammer to fall. She's like, when are you, when are you going to go back to being the old Jeremy? Yeah. Where's old Jeremy at? Yeah. The guy that never wanted to go anywhere or do anything that wasn't adventurous that didn't. And now I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's go to a, let's go to a concert in the park. Let's go to the movies. Let's, let's, she's live like, life. wait, what? Yeah. Let's go live again. Yeah. And it's so, it was incredible. I went for the second phase and it, and it was equally as, as liberating, uh, to me. And I got, I was fortunate enough to link up with some really good people there. Uh, one has become, uh, a mentor and I've become like a son to him. Uh, he, he's an old time horse trainer. He was in Cody, Wyoming, been training horses for over 60 years. His name's Val Geisler. He was in the film Unbranded as the old guy that helps him through Arizona. He invited me out to his place for the third phase of the program, the apprenticeship phase of the program. And I got to spend a month with a guy that's been training horses for longer than, than, than I've been alive. And, and I, I tell you what, he didn't just teach me how to work with horses and how to, how to bring a horse up from, you know, a green broke horse to a horse that has some rides and gets some experience. But he also, you know, very almost methodically kind of pried me out of, out of the shell that I'd been living in knowing that I wouldn't back down. I made it, I made a promise to myself before I left for the very first phase of the program that I wasn't going to back down and I was going to do everything that was asked to me and I was going to do it uh, in a sober state of mind. And I was going to do, I was going to give it all I had because not for me, but for my wife. That's how I had to, that's how I looked at it. And I tell you what, he very methodically pried me out of my shell and helped me be more comfortable in my own skin and be more comfortable around people I wasn't familiar with. And on top of that, you know, working with the horses every day just gave me a just a huge sense of purpose and a huge sense of it reinvigorated my, my leadership abilities. I was, I was reminded that, man, I'm a leader. This horse is looking to me for leadership. It was, it was, it was just incredible to me, the whole experience. And I got to leave there and, and, and go back and come back home. And man, it was, <laughs> I, I'm still kind of in shock. And that was over, that was two years ago. I was two years ago, um, 
I think I was just finishing up the second phase, getting ready to go on the third phase, and I didn't waste any time. I didn't waste any time getting back to. Uh, I didn't waste any time getting back back around horses once once I finished the second phase. So it's just been an incredible experience, and, and finishing up the third phase. I was in Cody, Wyoming for a month. So it wasn't, oh, you're just a week. It was a month. And it, it was, it was a whole month. And I finished up the month and I went, I was driving back to New Mexico from Wyoming and I stopped at my mom and dad's house. They live in central Colorado. And I stopped at my mom and dad's house and I, that's when I realized for the first time in a decade that I was home. I finally came home and it was, it was the horses that, that brought me home. That's a very, very powerful few simple words, you know, truly being home. I, my wife would tell me, and these, these are true words that are spoken before long before this was, you know, my wife would tell me you, you're never here. You're never home. And be, what are you talking about? What are you talking? I said, I'm always here. She says, you're here for short spells. You're here for short spells, like the first few days before elk season. And then the for a month or so after elk season. Because that's what I would, I, I'm an avid outdoorsman. I love to be outdoors hunting. Um, hunting elk is one of my favorite pastimes. In fact, if I could ever figure out a way to make a living just hunting elk, I would do it. But I don't think <laughs> I don't think that that's in the cards. Hey, you never um, know. Look where you came hey, from, never, right? Yeah, it was just. I bet um, you Charlie Five Horsemanship was never in the cards either. Well, it's a, it's. I think it's a lot more doable, but uh, I, it's a lot more doable. But I I never. I, I don't think my wife would be too happy if I spent all my time in the elk woods. <laughs> <laughs> understandable, understandable. So, so I, I, that's how I would, that's how I would unwind and I would spend time in the woods chasing elk. And I mean, there were times I just remember being elk hunting and being out there all alone and sitting down on a log and with my head between my legs, just weeping because I couldn't, this was the only place I felt okay. You could be yourself. Yeah. And, um, so when I, I went, stopped to my folks and I, I looked around the house, we just ate supper and I sat, I sat my plate down in the, in the sink and I turned around and I looked around my mom and dad's house and my mom was just standing there and I looked over at her and I looked at my dad and I looked around the house and I just let loose, man. I just let loose. And I, my look, my mom looked at me and said, son, are you okay? I said, Mom, I'm home. I'm home, Mom. I'm finally home. That's incredible. And, Absolutely um, incredible. I had, I had never until that until that day. I I'd gone and stopped at my folks. I'd go visit for the weekend or whatever. My wife and I would go and visit. And I we would go there. We spend a couple days, but I always kept my distance. I was always worried my mom would see through, especially my mom would see through 
what I was hiding. Yeah, she threw the shell. Yeah, and it was so I wouldn't I couldn't spend too much time around my folks. And I hugged my mom. I mean, I'd been home almost ten years, and I hugged my mom. I really hugged my mom that night for the first time. Like I had never hugged my mom before, and it was and and my dad and we sat down at the kitchen table and we talked about how I got to where I was. And my, I vividly remember my mom asked me, so what are you going to do now? So I said, I got to, I don't know, but I know that horses have to be a part of it. Yeah. And so I spent the, that time driving back to New Mexico, thinking about how I could take what I'd been giving given. I was given a gift and I really believe it how I can, how I could use that gift to do something good for people. And there's a, there's been a quote by a guy that went through the same program in Montana. I did. There's a quote by him and he, this guy rode, he finished the program. He rode from Colorado to Montana. So Lake George, Colorado to Bozeman, Montana with a pack string and donated all this stuff to the same, to this outfit. They made a little mini documentary out of it. His name's Ray now. He's a special forces, army special forces vet. And he says, these posts, these ponies have an amazing ability. Once you gain their trust, they care for you. They believe in you and they look for you for leadership. And when someone is looking for you for leadership, you can't fail them. And that's the amazing thing you stop worrying about yourself. And I, I started to think about those words over and over and over again. And I started to think about the problems I was facing in, in getting horses at my own house. Oh yeah. (laughs) So, um, but I knew I couldn't stop the horsemanship bug, if you will, just being around horses. I think, you know, Oh, it gets um, in your blood. It's just, it's it's insane. And good luck shaking uh, it, right? And so, I started talking to my wife. Her name's Rose. I started talking to Rose, and and I kept saying, you know, I got that mule uh, when I was in Wyoming. Val gave me a mule that I'd been working with. I said, I got to get that mule down here. But how do we do it? We only had a couple hundred bucks in the bank. I mean, literally just a couple hundred bucks. I said, how do we, how do I continue working with horses, but afford to work with horses? Cause the horse is the cheap part. <laughs> so I started thinking about a horse that I had rode in Montana that, that I got, it took a, quite a while, but we, we finally came to a, Kind of finally came to an agreement, if you will, and it was it was leadership. It was about I learned how to become a leader on the back of that horse. And if you can imagine standing, sitting on the on the back of a horse, and you're on on a trail that's no more than maybe five feet wide, four feet wide. I mean, there's not hardly any room, and it's a straight sheer cliff on one side, and it's a long drop. I mean, you're talking a river down below and it's a long drop. It's almost a sheer cliff. And the horse you're ponying 
and the horse you're riding don't like each other. And somehow, some way, the horse that you're ponying ends up facing you in front of you. So somehow the horse that I was leading got in front of me because him and the horse that I was riding, they didn't like each other. And I had to make a decision on how I was going to effectively continue down the trail. And yeah, get all three of you home. Yeah, and I did it. I did it, and I used my head, and I it, that's when I things kind of clicked. And I was like, man, I don't think I would have been able to get through that if I hadn't have had the training that I had, if I hadn't had the experiences that I had in the military where everything's happening so fluidly, everything's happening so quickly, but that, you know, they talk about tunnel vision all the time. That tunnel vision is still there, but your blinders aren't all the way on. You still, you can still think. Yeah. Um, And, and we, we, as after coming home and, getting out of the military, I saw that as a huge burden a lot of times because I would become so overwhelmed with things around me that I would go into that tunnel vision mode and I didn't like how I felt. But this was one of those moments where I realized, man, this is, this is something that can, that I can benefit from, especially when working horses. So when I took that scenario and I recalled that the outfit that I went through, this program I went to, had just got that horse a couple weeks before if not even a week before I showed up and they kind of was just trial by fire. They, they threw me up on the horse. He said, yeah, he's good. You're good to go. And the, the difficulty that I had through that process with that horse, with my lack of experience in the horses and the horse's disposition and demeanor, the way this horse acted, I decided that I want to bridge the gap I want to take these horses and instead of them being dumped off with therapy programs for free, because that happens a lot. Hey, I got a horse. Well, nobody wants to give away a horse for nothing because it's a good horse, right? Yeah. Um, the good ones cost a little bit of money. Right. Right. <laughs> and so and so I started thinking about, well, I can use what Val taught me to bridge that gap. That's where that's where the organization that I started Charlie Five started from was to take horses and then if a equine if a equine therapy program needs help with a horse or they get a horse or they're wanting to get a horse I would do I would work with it and train it and evaluate it and spend time with it before they they actually start working it in their program so we know what it's what it's what the horse is on. actually capable of right yeah. And that's where it started. And, and, and so we applied for our 501c3 nonprofit status. And uh, my wife, the genius that she is, managed to get it relative, I mean, quick. I mean, everybody's like, you really only got it. Yeah, we, it didn't take us very long to get it. And uh, we were off and running. And people, it started with a lot of family. Family started donating a little bit of money here and there to get us started. And that, man, that helped out. I was able to get uh, some corrals set up and then got my mule down there, down from Wyoming and continued to work with him. And I picked up a horse from a guy I was in the army with that, uh, I, he's, he said, dude, I got a horse for you. If you're interested in 500 bucks, 
we just he doesn't ever get road. So I bought me a, a dead broke, just grade quarter horse that's been ra- roped off of and worked with, and he's just one of those good all around horses. I picked him up for five hundred bucks, and man, I was off to the races. We've just been building and and acquiring and building and acquiring a little at a time, just step by step, to the point where one time we had six horses. Move some out, and I'm sorry, five horses, and then move move some animals out, and we've evolved from therapy programs to to focusing on veterans through through different avenues. And it's just been amazing how how big the the community is of of people who seek therapy, if you will, just or just seek comfort through the incredible power of the horse. The presence of a horse alone, right? Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, I and I started. I've been. I've read articles and I've. I've seen films and I've watched Ted talks and all these different things. And I'm going, man, there's all these avenues out here. And this, like there's a little girl in, in somewhere in England who is autistic, nonverbal started going to this equine therapy and hanging out with this donkey. And next, the first words out of her, out of her mouth were, I love you to the donkey. Right. To, to see these things happen and read about these things and, and learn about these things. It's like, man, no wonder I'm still here. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, it's tough to wrap your mind around. Right. I'm still here. Be- and all these other people are still here. They're not even riding the horse. They're just hanging out with it. Yeah. And, um, just what I get from when I have a rough day or whatever, or I'm shook up or feeling anxious, all I got to do is go out to the horses and stand there for a couple minutes. And I feel, I mean, I, it's a 180 degree turnaround. I'm okay. And it's just a small, small change of perspective. Right. You know, a small change of perspective. I want to, before we get too deep into, into Charlie five and your guys' mission and purpose, I want to kind of go back through your experience. And, and here's the reason why with all the veterans coming home, right, from all these different wars. Yes, your individual story is unique, but I think there's thousands and thousands, and you correct me if any of this is, this is bad information, thousands of soldiers and armed services member coming back broken. And I don't think we do enough. I think there's this huge fantasy land, and everybody feels good when they talk about wanting to help vets and help those coming back from uh, overseas. But can you think back in your experience when you made that transition from, from military life back into civilian life, uh, you talked a lot about disassociation, and then you hinted towards having tunnel vision. In your experience, where do you think that disassociation came from or how it came to be? Well, I, th- I, think, I think more, I think there's a couple different things. A lot of it came from you know, just not having that title anymore. Like I, I, I wasn't who, who I was supposed to be. And I, 
I lost it. It's like I, I gave up on it or I lost it. And then I think that connection you, you make as a service member to other, to guys or girls in your, your unit. Like I, there are guys I haven't talked to in years, but if they called me on the phone right now and said, dude, I need you right now, I would be on the next plane to where they're going. Right. Absolutely. I, I think that, I think that plays into it. I think the loss of leadership from the first day of, of your military career, basic training, you become the leader of something. Uh, and I use this, I'd say this quite a bit is you become the leader of something, whether it's the polishing the chrome on the water fountain <laughs> Or you're you're the squad leader in basic training. You, you are a leader, and you're made to be a leader. And when you're not leading anymore, when nobody's and you go to work at Walmart and you can't be a manager because you don't have any management experience, quote unquote, that messes with your head. Well, and, I can absolutely see that. I mean, that's an awesome perspective to see. From the corporate world perspective, yes, you have no formal leadership or management skills, right? But being right. a leader in combat is a lot more difficult to do than restocking a shelf at Walmart. And for, for some of these companies to not see the value in those skills, I often see times too, formal education plays a huge role, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of these companies want bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and all this other stuff. Well, what they fail to consider is that, well, everybody, for those that finish high school, and go the collegiate route, there's a whole bunch that are going into defending our freedoms, you know? And they're, those four and eight years where some people spend getting a bachelor's degree or master's degree or whatever they're chasing, there's a whole bunch of people out there that are attaining just as valuable, if not more valuable, skills, however they're doing it overseas under combat, combat scenarios, you know, combat situations. Right, even if you never, if you never go into combat, I mean, I would say... It's equally as difficult. It's just not as stressful. It's equally as, as difficult to be a, a leader or a, a, an NCO as I was a non-commissioned officer, as I was a sergeant in garrison in the rear, as it is to be, as it is to be in, in a combat zone because now it's like herding cats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it gets quite chaotic quite fast. And it, and it's um because guys don't have they're not busy all the time. There's downtime. You're trying to make sure that everybody's falling in line and doing what they're supposed to do. And so there's there's some things there that really frustrated me. I ended up leaving. Uh, I've had I had a number of jobs between the time I started Charlie Five and in the time I got out, where I left because leadership. There was people that were quote unquote in charge but you didn't have any leaders you didn't have any people who understood what leadership meant and and I think that that played a role in a lot of the stuff that you were you were alluded to before um, disassociation and then it becomes I've said it before the military is really good about making warriors out of out of people they're not very good at making warriors back into people, right? It makes we're really, sense. I mean, we're, we're incredible. We're incredible war fighters. The, the United States military is, we have some amazing people out there 
that are that are fighting all around the world. And we look, we talk about Afghanistan and Iraq. There are people that are fighting all around the world that are that are in our military, and and I'm not trying to use any kind of what I'm. They're no less fit and conditioned and professional as a professional athlete, right? Mm -hmm. These people are incredibly skilled. These people are incredibly, they're incredibly trained in every single aspect of what their job is. And I would say it's probably more difficult to, to be a, a, a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret or uh, Marine recon than it is to be a baseball player, professional baseball player, basketball player, football player, because of the things you have to know and the, the things you have to, to deal with. Nobody's shooting back at you on the basketball court. Right. And I, and I, I really believe that. And so when you go from this, this job and if you look at it like a job where you go to this job and you're, you're living your life at such a high intensity level and you come home and you get out and the intensity goes from a hundred to five, you're going to have to pick up. There's something happening there because your, your brain, your it's brain, a huge deficit to have to make up. Right. And so, so people have a difficult time coping. They have a difficult time living their lives and living their lives or, or controlling an environment. When I was, when I was going down the road in a Humvee, I had control of my environment to an extent, right? I, 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 I didn't let people in our convoys. I didn't let people within a certain distance of us. Uh, we kept an eye on people that had, were already in the area and we pushed them out. Um, the only things we didn't have control over were the guys that were, that were setting up bombs underneath the road or next to the road and stuff. We couldn't control all that, but we could mitigate a lot of the risk that was around us by putting distance between us and the, and the person around you. And you deal with that as, you know, you deal with that as a police officer, you deal with that as a firefighter, you deal with mitigating the, your risk by putting distance between you and the threat, right? Putting right. something between you and the threat. So when you come home and like me, I stepped in to college and I can't see everybody's hands. I can't see what everybody's doing at, in the student union building. What happens to me? I become overwhelmed. Panic. I become oversensitized to everything that's going on around me. And I, I lose function. Because I can't control the environment. There were so many times that I would text or call my wife and tell her, because I, I had to tell her, I'm, I'm not in good shape. I'm at school and I'm not in good shape. And she's like, do you want me to come get you? No, I need to finish out the day. But there are days I went to school and have no recollection of me being at school. It's absolutely because, incredible. What I think is amazing too is that you had the foresight and the awareness to know that you weren't doing well and you need to at least let somebody know. I, I think for me, I was afraid to be embarrassed. I didn't want people to, I didn't, I really didn't want people to um, be like, because there's a stigma, 
right? There's a stigma associated with with veterans that come home from combat that were crazy. Yeah. And that 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 was the stigma I carried with me and the discomfort I carried with me going to the grocery store or going to a, a concert was this person's going to see me and they're going to see I'm crazy. Yeah. Cuz the the VA the VA diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder and gave put a number next to it, right? And so I'm 70% crazy. That's what <laughs> it sounds funny, but when when you do that and you start thinking about it and then you start believing the hype and you start believing what the world around you is saying when you start living it, you know, what are we going to do with all these veterans when they come home? What are we going to do with this veteran suicide? Why are veterans killing themselves at a rate they say between the, the, the number they use all the time is 22 a day. We mm-hmm. just use that one. Why do, why are they all doing this? Why are they all doing this? Why are they all doing this? Is, well, it's because we, we, we volunteered to, to serve our country. We weren't told we weren't made. We didn't, there was no, we weren't conscripted. We weren't, we weren't drafted. We willingly stepped forward like police officers and firefighters. We willingly stepped forward and said, Hey, I want to go do this. And we raised our hand and we said we would, we would protect our, our nation and the people that live in it. And the reasons why we do that vary from me. I did it because I didn't, I wanted my nieces and nephews and my family to live in a, in a country that was safe. I didn't make this decision until after 9-11. Before 9-11, all I wanted to do was do my four years and get out. That's all I wanted to do. I watched 9-11 happen on TV, standing there in uniform. And I said, no, I got to I gotta be a part of this and I have to be, I'm not stopping until I can't do anymore. Well, I could do more. I just didn't feel like doing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't walk away from it because my life of service never stopped. But we, we get out and we're told that we're broken and poor you and you're, you're, you know, how do you live? You start to believe it after a while and you start to, I mean, it's start to get the picture. Well, I am broken. So I'm going to take that free dinner and I am broken. So I am going to go to that veterans only concert and I'm, I am broken. So I am going to go on that ski trip because I deserve it. I want to take a second. You've created a phenomenal opportunity to help educate some folks and, and truly let's, let's make an impact right here and try to break some of this stigma and just keep that in the back of your head while you're going through, through your testimony for the next couple minutes. Cause it, it, it's an awesome opportunity to give folks an inside perspective um, rather than what popular media is jamming down people's throats, you know? Uh-huh. Well, I think more than anything, we're not broken. We're the most capable people on the planet. We, as, as veterans, as people have, have so there's statistics out there, and I, I spout off some. I kind of just find some that, that are kind of in the middle. But they say between one, one, half, and, one half of 1% and 1% of our nation pop, nation's population has served in combat since Vietnam. And... I think that there's something to be said about that, that we were, we went and stepped forward and 
did something we were asked to do knowing what we were getting into, especially since 9-11. And I think that one thing we need to start looking at and how to, to get veterans out of this rut is to challenge them, to, to provide them with an opportunity. We, it, you know, we talk about it, Charlie five, you know, what we're doing and how we're, and how we're trying to, what we're trying to create. And I say that we believe in the power of horsemanship to challenge and inspire our nation's veterans to become leaders again. We provide them purpose, they develop trust, and ultimately we bring them home. And by giving them, by giving a veteran a challenge or anybody that that is overwhelmed with life, by providing them an opportunity where there's a challenge, they stop focusing on the things that make them uncomfortable and they push through the challenge to make them move forward. If you sit around and do nothing all the time, it's pretty easy to feel sorry for yourself. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. That's where I was. I was working at a job that that was not fit for me. Okay, I was I worked in, in an office building as a as a human resources administrator. It was horrible, right? No, there was I, no yeah. ch- last place there I was, want to be is be sitting behind a desk. Right, there was no challenge. There was challenge to the numbers that I had to meet every day, but I could meet the numbers. So there was really no challenge there. And it was so repetitive. And so there was no change of pace. The people there that I worked with, some of them were really, really fantastic. And others, there were some that, um, well, there are some that were less than fantastic. Let's just say that. (laughs) That's a fair assessment. I just don't, I I don't want to, but you know, what ultimately happened was, is I wasn't being challenged. And when I started looking around and I started getting involved in programs in organizations with veterans that challenge them, I saw veterans coming back to life right in front of my eyes. I saw them coming back to life and these programs, most of these programs involve horses. What an incredible feeling. Right. To watch, to watch a guy to, to even, to the extent of when it's time to to wrap up and go home, you can see him. Part of him kind of withers away a little bit. Dejected. Yeah, like I, I have to wait till next time. So using that opportunity, using that, watching that, and using that, say, you know what? Let's get horses to these veterans. They're engaged and involved in these horsemanship programs, whether it be you know uh, horses for heroes, cowboy up. They're out of Santa Fe. Chinks McCain Horsemanship Program, um, they're a nationwide deal. They're through the Simplify Fund or even, you know, uh, Heroes and Horses. There's the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship has, I think there's some ungodly number, like 6,000 plus active duty and, and, and veteran veterans that are participating in their programs across the country. That's incredible. So we have all these veterans that are getting involved in these equine assisted therapy programs. The guy, there's guys that I know, and I say guys, and I just use that term. It doesn't, I'm just, I'm not politically correct. The, there's, there's folks that I know that have therapy dogs. Why can't they have their own therapy horse? It's a good perspective. Which, why? I mean, you're, I, Walmart's going to be pretty upset if, if you lead your pony into. I'm saying, uh, can you walk your therapy quarter horse into, into the movie theater? <laughs> 
I wonder. I, it makes me wonder. <laughs> well, it heck, makes didn't, me wonder. Didn't some guy try to get a peacock on a plane or something recently? Something like that, yeah. But I've even read articles about ponies, people taking miniature horses or ponies and taking them into the hospital. So for the therapeutic value that that pony or that miniature horse brings to brings into the hospital, it's in, it's insane and it's incredible. And, I, and so I said, let's extend this. Why don't we take the veteran, provide him with the challenge. They're engaged in horsemanship opportunities. We take this veteran and we, we identify him at first. We look at him and say, Hey veteran, what, you know, you, you do pretty good. And we look for, and, and we get them involved we get them a horse so they have their own horse so that they can work that horse on their own in the hopes that that horse goes on and helps a program that helps kids or a program that helps people with terminal illness or developmental disabilities. We, let's get the veteran involved and challenge them, give them a goal. And right now we look at how, well, how do you identify the veteran? Right now, I'm very select because I don't have the facilities and the, the operation to to have a lot of veterans involved. We don't have the reach. But if I see guys at these clinics that I go to, these veterans at these clinics, like uh, Melissa, for example, she's an Air Force veteran. She retired medically. And she retired medically. And only 10 years into her career. She was a, a military police a security forces member in the United States Air Force. She was a military working dog handler, became an, a, a dog trainer for the Department of Defense. And she grew up around horses. So she had horses growing up. She reached out to us and said, hey, I want to get involved. I started talking to her. I realized that she needed, she needed help. And she was asking to get involved with us because deep down she knew what that horse was going to bring her if she got involved with us or got involved in horses. So we raised money for her to get corrals and things set up. And I delivered our first horse to her. And those are the veterans we look for. We look for veterans that, that have the tribe that want to step out there and want to do something. I'm not interested in the professional veteran. I'm interested in them because I'll, I'm truly here to help. But I'm interested in the veteran that has that try and that want to, to do something and move forward and continue their life of service and try and help other people out. And so we look for, I, I use this kind of a analogy on how we look for them. If you take it and look at it in terms of basketball, you have like Michael Jordans who are just naturally talented. You have people like that that are, that work with horses. There's just natural and it's, it's easy for them and it's just natural and they practice and they pick it up right away and they grow and they build and they grow and they build. And then there's folks like I, I put myself in the category of because I don't have the natural talent, but I understand it and I understand how it works and how to get a horse to be soft, supple and flexible through consistency and repetition and I work and I practice and I work and I practice on honing my timing and feel and getting better with it. And then there's people like me when I play basketball. I have absolutely no business doing it at all. I have no business being on the back of a horse. I'm sorry. I mean, it's going to take an awful lot of work, but they just don't have a whole lot of business being on the back of a horse. 
I'm interested in identifying the veterans and folks in that first two groups in that first two categories that have some natural skill and ability or that at least understand the concept and then trying to pair them with a horse that is just above their skill level or ability where they can attain it. That horse is going to teach them. That horse is going to help them rise to the occasion and they'll continue to grow with them and they'll be successful. And that's what we're looking at doing. That was Melissa. She had grown up around horses. She had mentors in place. She had already knew what she wanted to do. We just gave her an opportunity because we had a horse available that was going to fit her skill level and ability. And it worked out beautifully. She called me a week after we delivered the horse and she said, thank you. This horse is changing my life and I love him. He's incredible. And I'm so, so thankful that, that I have him here because I, he's, he means the world to me. It's incredible. And and I think of my, my journey through horsemanship and, and I had my light bulb moment, you know, where, where you truly, truly understand the connection with a horse. And, uh, I just remember thinking to myself, like, God, if I could help one individual feel this feeling, one person to find their way like this, I'll I'll be in this for the rest of my life. And, uh, It's incredible to watch, and, and I've seen firsthand in many, many programs and many of my experiences with horses. For example, I know folks that they, they just did not do well in social environments at all. Whether right. it's, I mean, something as simple as, as eye contact. The social environment was just flat overwhelming, you know, and they have an interest in horses and and start to challenge themselves. And I think you, I hit, you hit the nail right on the head where, the, where that horse is going to be just out of reach or just out of ability for the individual. Cause you, you want them to grow as, as a human being. You want them to grow as a horse yet. You don't want to make it so unattainable that you swing the pendulum the other way. And now they're completely dejected and turned off by it. You know, and they don't want to get right. involved and they don't want to grow. Right. I've seen these folks where where they go from not making eye contact to people to standing up in front of you know in front of groups of people doing public speaking here's the power in the content right or here's the power of this podcast is it we all have family members and and let's use the service for example uh since that's kind of the theme of the the episode here we all have family members who have served on some level they've all come home whether physically their home or, or, or mentally their home, completely, you know. If you guys out there have a friend or a family member and you think an experience like what Charlie Five provides could be beneficial to them, please, 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 please reach out to Jeremy. Because the biggest drive Absolutely. in all this is, is we don't know when we're going to turn that page for any one individual. I mean, we're willing to try with everybody and the value of trying can pay itself off tenfold you can you can completely change an individual's life by one phone call one email one message on social media so since we're kind of on that topic jeremy if you don't mind maybe explain to folks you know what platforms you're on on social media what what web you know you got a website out there charlie5.org Right. Explain explain the value of the website, what's on the website, how how folks can get involved cuz I guarantee there's well, folks out here listening to this that want to be a part of it. Right. I I think 
what I hope that I convey through the through the through the website, and I try to convey to people because there's been some mis miscommunication, is that for, number one, we're not a, a therapy program or facility. I, I I'm not a therapist. I am an aspiring horse trainer who who needs the horse myself to continue moving forward, but I'm not opposed to pointing an individual in, in the direction of a program that that's going to suit them. Like I, I spouted off some names earlier. Those are the three that I are kind of my go-to, but I, I would always, I would always refer someone to, to a program um, that's, that's going to fit them because I don't have the ability <laughs> I just don't have that kind of ability to, to, to help people. Can you go um, over those programs quickly again? Yeah, there's the number one I would if you're if you're a service connected veteran from the military, reach out to the Simplify Fund Jinx McCain Horsemanship Program. It's an incredible it's an incredible, awesome program that uh, it's just amazing. Uh, and what they do for veterans and getting them involved in horsemanship at all levels. Let me tell you something real quick about this program. So if you're sitting there, and you're thinking about, well, I don't know how to ride. No, they'll take guys that have, ne- they'll take guys and gals that have never ridden a horse or been around a horse before in their life. And they will take them and teach them the ba- from the very, very basics. And there are guys that have never, had never stepped on a horse before that are roping calves and dragging them to the fire within a very, very short amount of time. There's if they will try to facilitate any veteran regardless of their disability. So if you're an amputee, there there are veterans that are participating in these programs that are triple amputees or riding horses, and it's and it's changing their life. That would be the number one the number one program I would I would direct you to if you're a service connected uh, veteran. If in the New Mexico area, I would I would. I would ask you to look at Horses for Heroes Cowboy Up. Rick Iannucci is the founder of that organization, and they're an incredible program. And again, they will take you, they'll put you on a horse, and they'll evaluate you and your skill level and match you and help you grow. And they have a lot more to their program. So they're really, really awesome. I've met Rick um, several times, and he's just, as I like to say, he's just a good dude. He's just a really good guy. Heroes and Horses. in out of Montana, out of Bozeman, Montana, and that was the outfit that you went through, yeah, in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, um, they are they're an amazing program for the veteran that, like me, I was at the end, and I needed to disconnect from the world, and I was a hundred percent committed to doing it. They and they handle. Uh, last talking to them, they handle veterans with a wide gamut of issues from like, like me, PTSD with, and then, and what they, my therapist would say, suicidal ideation and things like that to, um, there's a huge drug problem in the veteran community. Opiate addictions are huge and they're there to put you there in that for long enough so that they can help you get clean and sober again and realize that horse, the horse is going to help you is going to help you do that. But it's, it's grueling. It's very, very tough. It's a, it's a challenge. 
it's a huge challenge. It's not for the faint of heart, but it is every, every bit of challenge, every bit of hardship, every bit of anything that you experience there, you can get out of it tenfold on the other side. So they're an incredible program. They, they only do their program once a year in the summertime because it's long pack trips. Get on a horse and you'll be riding. It's, it was, it was amazing. And the country you see, and it was just an amazing, it was an amazing outfit. And Otherwise, that, prog- that program's a multi-phase program, correct? Correct. It's multi-phase. So it's it's a three-phase program. The first program, they teach you the basics of horsemanship. They teach you how to pack. So you learn how to put set, pack saddles and put all your equipment and everything on the back of a horse or back of a mule. And then you go up into the mountains like an old-timer. And it's, it's awesome. It's really, really an awesome experience. And again, you're in it. Everybody there is pretty much a veteran. So it's not like you're going there and not identifying with anybody. You go in there and you identify with, with a veteran, with other veterans that have a similar background as you. And so the second phase, it's just more packing, more intense, and pack trips typically longer. And then they put you in the third phase where that's your it's like an apprenticeship. A lot of guys, they sent some guys to Alaska when I went through. I sent some guys to Alaska to go work for outfitters up in Alaska during like moose season and stuff. To other guys working for outfitters and guides and stuff like that, doing the same kind of stuff, packing. Um, they send some guys to horse trainers um, and things like that. So it's really an incredible experience uh, for someone that is like, Hey, I need to turn my life around and, and I'm not, I'm going to do whatever I got to do it. I do whatever I got to do to make it happen. And so those are, if, if those aren't going to work for you, if those are going to work for the veteran, I would, I would tell them to look up the professor, professional association of therapeutic horsemanship path. If you just look up path, P A T H horsemanship. They can find a therapy program near them. And the cool thing is, is the VA has just uh, just had a pretty good chunk of change devoted to, uh, to, to helping further the use of equine-assisted therapy for veterans who are, who are wanting to try that, which is awesome. They're, they're starting to open their eyes. The VA is starting to open their eyes and say, this stuff's working. Stuff's working. We need to we need to get more veterans involved in this. And there's there's therapeutic riding centers all across the United States, and they will help you get involved with the horse. There's just it's just it's awesome. And and work from there. Grow from there. Start. start don't push yourself past your comfort level, but don't push yourself so hard that it's detrimental. Right? You know your comfort level. That's the only way you're going to grow. Is you get into that point of discomfort and you keep doing it until you become comfortable with it, right? It's like riding a bike or riding a motorcycle or riding a horse. Well, I think, yeah, I, I can equate it to working with horses, right? I think mm-hmm. one of the hardest skills for anybody to develop that's an aspiring horseman is sometimes you got to know when to walk away, and sometimes you need to know when when you call your victory for the day, right? Right. Uh, oftentimes, folks see a little bit of success and. Most type A personal personalities are just that. You see a little success, you're hungry, you want a little bit more, you want a little bit more, you want a little bit more. Well, 
you could start treading into waters that you can't get yourself out of. And now a perfectly conducive or productive training session can turn out and finish on kind of a discouraging note because you somewhat wore out your welcome. Right. That's exactly because we, if we think about how we learn through the application of pressure and the release of pressure, right? That's how we, that's how we train horses. The horse learns when the pressure is released, right? So if we think about applying pressure to ourselves until it becomes more comfortable and then we remove ourselves and we remove ourselves from the pressure, then we've gained ground on, on, on that fear or that discomfort. The horse is very much the same way. If you want the horse to follow you, if you want the horse, you want to lead the horse and you pull on the rope and pull on the rope and pull on the rope and he's standing there. And then he finally takes one step. You release the pressure, right? That's your victory. And it may only be one step. And I think what's so awesome about training horses and, and using veterans to do that is it is like you said, was we're type A personalities. So we want the gratification. We want to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. We're going to do it. It forces us to take a step back and almost relax so that we see the small victory as as a victory, not the whole stinking war. You need that. It's a, it's a, there's small steps. It's like building a house out of Legos. You got, you got to do it one piece at a time. And it, that's, that's how horsemanship, I think getting veterans involved in horsemanship and learning and teaching them those building blocks. I think that's why it's so effective is because they can't just make the horse do whatever they want it to do just like that. However they want to do it. It doesn't work. Yeah, it takes a little effort. It takes effort. It takes soul it, searching. It, right. And the horse isn't just going to follow you just because you're a human being. They don't care. They're 1,200 pound animal. They just as soon run you over and go eat their chow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. So Fed and left alone. So, right. That's what they want. Right. So you have to work at getting that horse to trust you and believe that you're a leader because they're not going to follow just anybody. And you can, don't take my word for it. Get out there and start looking at veterans and horsemanship. All you're going to find videos, you're going to find pictures, you're going to find everything all over the internet about how the veteran steps into the round pen with a horse. They're asked a question about them themselves personally, and they can't get close to the horse. But when they're asked the question and started to think about it in a different way, the horse walks right up to them. You have to be honest. That's that's an incredible thing about horsemanship for people who are struggling and having a hard time is you have to be honest with yourself. Otherwise, a horse is not going to trust you. Yeah, and the horse, is almost, you- the horse is almost the reflection of your honesty. That's exactly you know, that's, we can We can be deceitful and we can... We as human beings, right? We can be deceitful. We can cover up and and be deceiving in our presentation, but that horse is going to call it like it is, and you're not going to get your results unless you are truly being honest with yourself and you're truly being honest with that animal, and it, and it's to the level that they're convinced. Right. How many how many times have you started to work with your horse and just thought, man, this guy he's going to be such a pain in the butt? Oh yeah. And and he he is, 
He's a pain in the butt. If you get frustrated, you walk away. And then you step in there and you go, we're going to do it this time. And the horse does it the first time. It's incredible. And I think back, I mean, how many times have, and and this is for everybody out there in the horse community, how many times have you run past that person or run by that person? And, you know, it's this stupid horse that, and that stupid horse this. And and I just sit and laugh when people come across that. Horse loading into a trailer is, I think, is the, the biggest one that we see. Yeah. Once once you get it in your head that that horse is not going to load into the trailer, that horse is not going to load. Yeah, into the trailer. good luck. Right, good luck. Or putting the bit in his mouth, or or you name it. Yeah, people in the horse community understand that. How many times? It, but if you walk up there and you walk up like it's nothing, and you walk right into that trailer, or you walk that horse right up to the trailer, and you feel confident that they can get in there, they feed off of that. They feed off of it. I've, I've watched people do it. I've watched, I've dealt with it myself in my, in my own personal experiences. I have dealt with, oh man, this horse isn't going to get in. He's going to be prime example. I was supposed to haul a horse down to go work with the Jinx McCain folks. And my wife <laughs> Rose set me up for failure. Almost. It was kind of a funny story. She said, Hey, are you going to load up dollar before you go, uh, before you head down there? Are you going to make sure he's going to load up fine? I said, Oh, he'll load up fine. She said, "You might want to just practice, make sure he's going to load up fine." So now she I got put this. that. She she put that doubt in my head. So the next yeah. day, I went out there and went to go load that horse. That horse didn't get in the horse trailer. I couldn't get him in the horse trailer to save his life. He's an eighteen-year-old, nineteen-year-old quarter horse. That guy's seen more time in the back of a horse trailer than than I've seen on the road in my entire life. He's been everywhere in a horse trailer. It was, and he'd been in that horse trailer before, and it wasn't a bad experience. But I walked in there going, man, I hope I sure hope he gets in there. No, I can absolutely up. absolutely relate. <laughs> absolutely relate. I had that same issue, the horse I have. Same thing. Experienced horse. He's traveled, never been tossed in a trailer. We got a new trailer recently and and it took an act of God to get him into that horse trailer. Right. And the biggest change for me and my perspective or inner perspective on this is is I think back on that day. And you're right, that doubt starts to show up or that frustration starts to to present itself. Right. Now you're losing, you, the human being, is losing credibility as a leader. Mm-hmm. It wasn't but the next day we go out to load that that horse and, and obviously being the type A personality and wanting to achieve stuff, I said, heck, we didn't do it yesterday as gracefully, but you know what, today we're doing it. And uh, we went out and my change in perspective was, is you talk about, working with horses in the application and release of pressure where I think folks can take it a step further and where I've seen success. And you tell me what yours, your experience is, is oftentimes we reward the physical presentation. So let's take getting a horse to lead. For example, you know, you apply somewhat pressure to that lead and we're waiting for that horse to physically take a step before we let that pressure go. Well, if you were to peel back the layers and reward that horse's effort in thinking mm-hmm. about that step, right? Rewarding the slightest try. And once you get that horse to understand that if I try, life is good. Literally, right. I took a horse, th- this horse, it took two hours to get him into a trailer. Two hours. Mm-hmm. And something that takes five seconds and has always taken five seconds. And the very next day, a change in my perspective and my mentality and my approach in a five-minute span, 
we get him loading into the trailer. We get him from presenting him the trailer to sending him into the trailer. I'd start 10, 12 feet back from the from the trailer. I'd direct him into it, and I would just toss a rope over his back, and there you go. Walk right into the trailer. That's my favorite way to load a trailer. I don't like getting in the trailer with the yeah. person. I've been, I've There's been too there much too. chaos that can happen in there. Right. I've made myself into a tiny little ball in the uh, in the manger of, of a horse trailer because uh, I there are times when you got to do it. There's just oh, absolutely. I have one horse that uh, I was loading in the trailer. He's a Mustang, so his a lot of the horses we work with, by the way, are, are Mustangs. So this this one in particular, he most of his life he'd just been running to trailers down an alleyway, and you run him in the trailer and you slam the door behind him, and that's. Load him like cattle. Load. Yeah. Um, he hadn't had very many great experiences of getting up in a trailer. And I own our, our outfit has, <laughs> it was donated to us. It's a mid seventies model four horse straight load. So it's not a slant trailer. It's not very wide. It's probably only six feet wide. If that maybe six feet wide. And so you're, you're basically trying to push a horse into a black hole. It's hard. It's hard to get them in there. But I feel like, well, if I can get them in that trailer, I can get them just about anything. Well, there was one he wouldn't he wouldn't load for me being outside. And if I tried to pull on his head at all, he'd rear up and act like a he'd act like a fool. But he had latched onto me. He's always been very latched onto me. So I once I crawled into the horse trailer and stood there, he walked right up in the trailer and he was fine because I was there. And then once I got him comfortable doing that, then I could send him in the trailer. And then I got to the point where I just tied the lead rope around their neck and get in there, buddy. Thing. Yep. Let him do yep. their thing. And then he gets in there and, and we're good. But it's about that consistency and repetition and building their trust in you and trusting that you're not trying to drive them into they see the scary situation, but they can trust you and they'll follow you. Are you a good enough leader to get them in that, in that trailer and them trust that you're not sending them into, you know, in their mind, a very scary situation. Yeah. And that's where, that's where reward and the try comes into play. Cause right. once, once you have that horse ingrained and they know that they can trust you and they know that you're going to believe in them when they try, who cares what scenario or situation you put them in? You know, they know that, hey, if I try and make an effort that, you know, so-and-so is going to take good care of me. Right. That's when you really, really start to see some change and you really, really start to see some growth. And that day when we were sending the horse into the trailer, my wife was just sitting back laughing. And and it's funny to watch to take an animal and see a completely different change in a matter of hours, uh, you know, between one day and the next. But it the horse always had the ability to do it. Right. It's whether or not I was going to change my ways. Or, you know, find myself in it and uh, and right. work with that horse on their level, you know? Yep. Yep. So we, I mean, that, that rewarding that try is, is rewarding that effort is such a huge, and it's a, such a miss, it's not seen. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to catch. Did they try? It's a feeling. They try. Yeah. So you, you get to where you can, and you watch these great horsemen out there, you know, that 
they've been doing it for decades. I think we've, you and I have talked before and we talked about, man, I'm way behind the power curve. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm 38 years old and I'm trying to make a life as a, as a, uh, as a horse trainer and where people my age have been doing it for 20 years, 25 years, they've been training horses and here I am just starting out. But I think that the concept and knowing the basics and then having those things in place, mentors in place is, is incredibly important. And that's what we try to do with our program is, is make sure that we're not just throwing a, a veteran to the wolves and saying, here's your horse, bye, see you later. We're going to make sure that there's fail-safes in place. They know that the horse is theirs for all intents and purposes, but they they can't just up and get rid of it without our consent. Um, they need to let us know if there's an issue. Another part of it is they also have to, uh, before we even deliver the horse, before we'll even consider delivering a horse, they have to, we have to make sure that they have, who's their veterinarian? You know, who are they going to contact if the horse gets sick or the horse gets injured and they need to contact a veterinarian? Um, who's their farrier? Are they going to have a farrier come out? They need to have a farrier come out and trim feet and do all that stuff. They need to understand the importance of all these things because it's about making them a leader. So as a, as a non-commissioned officer in the military, you have to know where to send your soldier to sick call. You have to know where to, you know, how your, how your, your soldier, or your, your troop is going to get taken care of in different ways. You have to know these things. And so if they don't know in these cases, a veteran applies and they don't know, well, we're not going to just tell them, well, no, you can't have one. We're going to help them. We're going to help them figure it out. But the most important thing that I think that we want to do with, with all of it, with getting horses to veterans is making sure that first and foremost, they have skin in the game. It's not a free pass. It's not a free ride. It's not a free pony for the poor veteran that, that there's a purpose and there's a mission behind it and that they need, that's, that's how they're going to grow. That's how they're going to get better. Yeah. And that's so how... explain to me if, if I was going to Charlie five for help with my horsemanship, what's the process that I can expect? Well, right now we're not, I'm, I mostly, I identify veterans that I've interacted with through programs. That's been our starting point because, and because we're so young, I really need to work the kinks out of the program and how, how things work. So if I have better access to a veteran through one of those programs, I can better – it's just easier for me to do. Now, Melissa was a, a different case. She reached out and we started – we spent quite a bit of time talking. But if you're a veteran and you wanted to come to us and you wanted to, to get involved and get a horse and horsemanship, I would, I would start talking to you about what have you done as far as interacting with horses. What's been, what's been your experience with horses? How long have you been riding? What have you been doing? Okay. And if you say, oh, I go and I ride every week at the, the stables down the road, I'm going to say, well, give me the number. You talk to 
Let me talk to them. This isn't, um, it's not to be mean. It's not to be hateful. It's to be, be honest. You've got to be honest with yourself. You need yeah, to be you honest. Credibility to it. Right. So if you're, if you're truly involved in horsemanship and you, and you're doing stuff, then, then you're not going to have any problems sending me to the person that you're, you're interacting with, or if you have your own horses or whatever, like Melissa was fairly easy. She goes and spends a lot of time with a trainer, uh, down in Texas. She works with this trainer all the time. So she was, she was sending me videos. (laughs) She was texting me videos of her riding a horse. Said, okay, well, we've got video. And, and so, so that's how we'll work that. And we'll, there's a lot of communication back and forth with a veteran. So the right now, because the way we're set up is if, if we have a horse ready or we can find a horse for the individual, we're pretty insistent that we deliver it. And what we'll do is we'll put together a fundraiser to raise some money so that when the horse arrives, when the animal arrives to the, to the veteran, that they're not, uh, that they're set up for success. In Melissa's case, we spent some money and built, had bought some uh, corral panels. So she has a round pen. She has a place to keep Cooper, right? Which that's what she needed to get started. She had a saddle. She had tack. She had, she had some money, but she just didn't have enough to make it all happen at once. Well, let's get them set up, set up for success in her part of the country. I don't know about what hay costs where you are her part of the country you can buy a bale of hay for five, six, seven dollars a bale grass hay for us in New Mexico. You're talking eight, nine, 10. I pay 1350 for a bale of hay out of 70 pound bale of grass hay. And it's, it's good grass hay, but it's, it's where New it's Mexico costs a little bit a, of money. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to make sure that they know and understand how, they're going to take care of the animal. And so, so with her, like I said, we, we purchased some, some corral panels for her, but she had to do the legwork on that. She had to go price them out. And, and she asked me, well, who would, who should I go with? And I'm going to plug a a company that has been helping us out since the beginning. I said, I'm never going to tell you, what you have to buy because we're raising the money for you to get started. So I won't tell you what you have to buy, but if it were me, I would invest in preferred, preferred equipment, the quality for the quality and the value preferred equipment is going to be your best quality and value in my opinion. And they didn't start helping us out until after the fact we bought a lot of preferred equipment at Charlie five before um, they even talked to us on the phone. Yeah. So, um, and so I, that's one of the things we'll do. So we'll get them set up. So they're set up for success. And then we'll, we're insistent that we deliver. I'd like to be able to spend a couple days with the veteran and the horse together, working on, working them together so that they have a better understanding of one another and make sure that that horse fits the long term, Um, my vision is to, to have enough coming in and have enough horses be enough horses deep where we bring the veteran to us and the veteran can spend a few days here 
working with the horse so we can find the right fit, the right horse for that person here and then take it and deliver it to them. And then they get, they get going on the horse uh, at their own place from there. So they've, they've actually built a rapport and, and a relationship with that horse where the horse is comfortable on the horse's own ground. Right. If you will. Yeah. And I think and, that's an, oftentimes it's an overlooked aspect of, I'm going to call it horse shopping. Right. Matching personalities. I mean, right. Everybody wants the big, powerful, good looking horse. But if, if you and your animal aren't on the same page and you're not able to communicate, I mean, good luck after that. Right. And it just, so that's part of what we do to set them up for success. So in Melissa's case, we, I, I rode down with some folks from Jinx McCain and we rode down to, uh, near San Antonio and she was able to come out and, and ride Cooper. <laughs> we rode Cooper. When we delivered Cooper to Melissa, that horse probably had less than 50 rides on him. And I, the two weeks that I had him, I spent, he grew up. He did a lot of growing up in the two weeks that I had him because I hauled him from Tucson, Arizona from, uh, the an outfit we get a lot of our horses we partnered with an outfit called dream horse arizona jeff cook spends his life revolves around training mustangs and so he had this horse he's like i just need to move him he's a good horse he needs someone that that can ride him every day melissa was a good fit in that aspect so i hauled him from tucson arizona to where we are near albuquerque i worked with him for a week here at our outfit then I hauled him from here down south about 80 miles, and he worked on a ranch. We took him out and worked him on a ranch trailing cows for a week. And I'll tell you what, that little boy, that little boy horse turned into a, to a, to a, a nice young man by the time <laughs> that week was over. Oh, that's great. 95, 95 degree heat, trailing cows all day long in the summer. I was riding him. I was riding him around in the pins, in the alleyways, in the pins. You talk about teaching a horse to to turn on his hind feet and work, and having calves in there and stuff like that. I mean, it got a yeah, little the pins scary get there. Real busy, real quick. Yep, yep. And he had to learn. He just had to learn. And I, to be honest with you, I had to learn. I had to learn. I learned a lot in that two weeks. And we. We learned a lot together, and then I hauled him down there near San Antonio, and and he was a totally different horse. He was just a good, he was a good boy, but he still needed a lot of work, a lot of time. So, you know, got him to Melissa. Melissa got him home, and and she's trucking right along with him. That is awesome, and I think, I think the attraction to your program there at Charlie Five is it. You know, a lot of outfits or, or, or programs that are willing to help kind of play the role of middleman, right? So mm-hmm. they have somewhat of a, of a bank of resources. There's an individual in need and, you know, they make the introduction. And once the introduction's done, it's on to the next one. Where, right. where I think Charlie Five separates himself is, is you are not a middleman, not one single bit. Uh, I see Charlie Five as more of a mentor in it right you're you're helping to educate and you're helping folks grow and you're there for support in the long run so so long after that deal has been done or long after those 
that halter's been handed to another individual, you know, they can jump on the phone and get a hold of Jeremy and, and figure out a cork right. with the horse, or you know, they got a question, a horse comes up lame, or you know, it's right. not holding weight, or whatever the issue may be. Because God only knows, you've been in the horse business long enough that issues are going to come up, and they come yep. up far and more. They usually come up right before you go out of town, right? Uh, yeah, or they come, they come when <laughs> there ain't no money in the bank, and you right. got to get a vet out to your house like now, right? So it's it's awesome that you all are helping these folks. Uh, you are making the introduction, but you're there. You're there to support them, and right. and it and it goes tenfold in, in folks' success because yes, you're changing people's lives, but you're building them up for a lifetime of success. Right. You know, whereas other programs, they might get a weekend or a month or six months of joy out of a horse, but if they don't have that support system, because we, no matter how good you are at this business you have to have mentors, right? And you got to have somebody right. you can lean on and somebody with just a little bit more experience than you to maybe reinstill that confidence. And that's where Charlie Five really turns the corner on a lot of these other programs, in my well, opinion. I think, I think that I look at, I'm approaching this, our outfit, a lot of the same way that I went about how I changed my life. Is I went and I made a decision and I wanted to change my life and then I got back and I wanted horses. So I worked hard at getting horses in the sense of pride and purpose that I, I tell you what, Jason, we started with nothing. I had nothing when it came to horses. I didn't even have a complete saddle. Okay. When I got done in Wyoming, Val, Val had bought me paid for i had to pay him back he bought me a saddle it didn't have it didn't have anything on it other than fenders right it didn't even have stirrups i'll say i guess that's a good start right you're gonna need it a few more good, parts than that right but i'm i got out there and i wanted it so i made it happen and i went from having a partial saddle to teaming up or being we got our 501c3 nonprofit status, and and the first company I hit up was was Five Star Equine Products, because I know you have your own, you use your own pads and stuff like that, and you've had your experiences with them. I don't have any experiences with them. I used Five Star pads while I was in Montana, and I was impressed with the product. So I asked them if they would discount pads for me, if just one pad. That's all I needed was one pad to start. Yeah. And they, they donated saddle pads to us. And I've I've nurtured that relationship and we've nurtured each other along the way and we've built an, an incredible relationship with them. So that now when I deliver Cooper to to uh, Melissa down in, in Texas, she got a she got a saddle pad. She started with the saddle pad. Oh, she incredible. had a saddle. That's incredible. So those those are those are but I had to work at it. So I, I used the way I did things as as a model for does this veteran want it? Yeah. I've had a lot of veterans tell me they want a horse. I have not had very many veterans say they want a horse and reach out to me and say, Hey, how do we get this ball rolling? And show you, show you that they show want me. a horse. Yeah. Because it's at the end of the day, the horse doesn't have a choice. I can load up a horse in a trailer and take it anywhere in the country. The horse doesn't have a choice. Right. So I'm, I'm putting a horse in the hands of somebody and 
it's my responsibility as someone who who wants to be a horseman and someone who aspires who aspires to be a horseman to do my best by the horse every time do my absolute best by that horse and as an example that mule that i picked up that val gave me and cody that mule meant the world to me i worked that mule that mule taught me pretty much everything i know and then some he 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 whooped me i was gonna say horses often horses and mules alike too often teach us what we don't know right yeah yeah i there was a just off subject i say that what happened was is i got ahead of myself i was trying to get him a saddle broke to to make him a ride mule threw threw a saddle up on him started working him i got ahead of myself and i stepped on him before he was ready to be stepped on he don't he hadn't been rode but once before and he jump kicked and flew me flung me off the back of him i ended up landing on he ended up kicking me Oh, in Jesus. the back of the thigh, yeah, on my way down, and I landed on my head and knocked me out. Oh, that's a good start. Yeah, it knocked me out. Ain't nowhere so, to go but up. Right. So what he taught me was that you need to all the, they say the more times the more times you get bucked off, the better your groundwork gets. Oh yeah. So hey, I I make sure now groundwork, 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 and and get them going. But anyway, what I was saying is. That mule, I love that mule. Him and I were buddies. We we learned a lot together. We we taught each other a lot of stuff. That mule went from being wild when I when I landed in Cody, Wyoming, to being a mule that was taken on pack trips with Val in the backcountry, hauling panniers full of junk in and out of the woods. But when I got him here and I started getting going and and doing the thing with horses, I realized that that mule was just standing around. He didn't have a job. So I owe it to that animal to give him a purpose, to give him an opportunity to, to be at his best. Because that's what we do, right? Oh, yeah. That's what we do at Charlie Five. That's what we do to be aspiring horsemen. Do right Your by job him. Is, is to make sure that when you that horse or animal, that animal moves on, it's at its best that you can make it. And so I met up with a guy in, in Las Vegas at Cowboy Christmas last year. And just so happens that he's almost exclusively a mule and donkey guy. And he also happens to be a disabled veteran. I said, what better way to treat Duncan than to send him to a guy that can do anything that he needs to be done with him with a, with a guy that knows what he's doing yeah, and help a veteran at the same time. So we delivered Duncan to, to Eric, Eric Lynn up in, up in Colorado. We took him to him and it was, it was different, but it was still a success. It was a success on the animal standpoint. It was a success on the, he, he's a veteran. And I tell you, I get more, pictures and videos of him working with that mule i can't keep up with him i can't keep up with the guy that's great he's taking him on pack trips he's got hard panniers on him he's taking him on pack trips up in the mountains he's like i'm just still not right there to ride him yet he's he's packing him and working with him every day getting him to hold a bit in his mouth and 
and doing all this stuff. All the while, this guy just had he had knee surgery like three days before I dropped Duncan off. Oh Lord! So this guy's pushing it every single yeah. every single day. So it's not always just about the veteran. It's it's about the animal too. We owe it to him. I think we we domesticate him, domesticated them, and we have a responsibility to to our, to do our absolute best by them and and to help them out in any way we can and to make sure that just like us, just like us as humans, they have a purpose because they're going to thrive in an environment where they're they have a purpose. Yeah, where they're supported. Right, where they have leadership. Yeah. Um. So it's a. Uh, it's been a, a pretty incredible last few months for us here. We've we've just been whooped. I'm whooped, man. I'm busy. I, I'm going a million miles an hour. It's nice to finally sit down and talk and kind of gather my thoughts and talk about what we're doing. Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm sure excited to to have follow up uh, episodes with you because, like you talk about Charlie Five being in its infancy. You guys are going to be going places. I mean, you're doing phenomenal things for a lot of people, for a lot of animals. Um, you're starting to develop that network of mentors, you know, both personally and professionally. And it's going to be a really, really exciting time to watch you all grow. Well, we're excited. We're excited that, you know, we're excited that people are starting to see what we're doing. And so we've gotten, got two animals out. We've brought in animals and we've doing the work. I'm, I'm excited that people believe in what we're doing. And I, I've said it, I say it all the time. I can't thank you enough. You know, I can't thank anybody who I work hard at responding to comments on, on social media, you know, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Charlie five Inc. And I'm, I do my best to respond to every comment unless there, you know, there's comments out there you just don't respond to. But <laughs> now sometimes you got to look at the credibility of the source, right? Right, right. But I try to do, I do my best to sit down at some point in the day and respond to comments and just say, thank you. You don't have to spend your time looking at my silly pictures on the internet. You know, you really don't, but you choose to. And you know, we just finished up. I just finished up a, a week at Texas A and M and talking to folks there, and meeting people. I don't. They have an equine therapy program at Tech, that that works out of Texas A and M. Blew me away. There's a, and then I just finished up. They just. I was in Wyoming, at Chris Cox Ranch, and got to meet Chris Cox and sit down and talk to him about what we're doing, and I'm excited about the people. And the the kinds of people that are getting behind us and supporting what we're doing, um, you know, like I said, the folks at Prefert, the Chris Cox, Five Star Equine, these guys, and I'm not, I'm plugging. I know you have your own sponsors, and I'm plugging mine. But I I think it's because I'm I'm not just going at this organization half cocked I really believe I really believe in my heart in what we're doing I know how I felt I know how I felt a little over two years ago 
And I don't ever want to feel that again. And so if I can make, if I can help a veteran or someone else feel the way I do today, that's why we're here. It's not for me. It's not for, it's for, it's for them so that they have a chance. They have an opportunity to move forward and gain some ground in life and realize that you're not broken. You are capable of doing anything you want to do. I say it a lot. I tell, I have to tell myself a lot. There's a lot of things I tell myself, but one of the things I tell myself is the only thing holding me back from doing anything I want to do is my own self doubt. That's it. And so I, I work real hard at, at trying to nurture relationships with, with people and organizations that hear what we have, will sit down and listen. For the person that's sitting down and listening to this podcast, you're going to say, this guy rambles on a lot, but man, I hope, I hope they say he believes in what he's doing a hundred percent. And I believe in it because uh, I've seen I, it. I personally can hear it in your voice. You know, this isn't, this isn't a, a sales pitch. This isn't an ad. This is what runs in your soul, you know, and I'm blessed enough to call Chris Cox a friend of mine. And he is, he's probably been one of the biggest blessings and mentors, not only in horsemanship, but in life. I've learned some phenomenal lessons as a man, you know, from, from Chris Cox and the, and the conversations that we've had. And his, his, he's remarkable in his outlook on life and the involvement of the horse in his outlook on life is just, I listened to him talk and he's, you know, the, the greatest animal on earth is a horse. And I, I'm, here I am, a guy, two years ago, I was, I was, I was ready to, to kill myself. And two years, two years later, I'm going, dude, you're right. You know what I mean? You're absolutely right. It was, it was that, that relationship and that horse stuff that brought me back around. And I'm, and I, and I talked to him. I've only talked to him the one time. I need to get a hold of him here pretty quick because I need to talk to him about some other stuff. But the his he was genuine in talking to him about if you know if there's anything you need, you know, stay in touch. There's people that say that and it's half-hearted, and then there's people that say it and you know when you ask, and I don't ask for a lot, but when you when you bring it up, they say. Absolutely. So there's some things I I'm gonna talk to him honestly about how do we how do we move this organization forward? How do we get to a place where we have an operation and a facility where where we can bring the veteran to us and make sure that we have them in an environment to make them as successful as possible. That's that's my goal is when they we move the horse on to a veteran they're successful so that they come back and say Hey Jeremy, can I take on another horse and train it for this program over here? Exactly. And we, that's what I want. I want to build an operation where I'm farming out horses to, to veterans, to people, because they want to help other people through the power of the horse. That's what I want out of it. And that's yeah. been my biggest drive with this with this podcast and its introduction is that I, like you, have lived the change through horsemanship. I've lived it. I had a, a podcast kind of mentor of mine. We were talking about goals the other day, and he said, "You know, what do you what do you want out of this? Like, how many listeners, and and what kind of following and contingency?" And I told him, "Man, if I could change one life, one life, if I can help one individual feel how I felt when I turned the corner, 
I consider right. a success, you know, and now for me, it's, it's been an awesome journey and, and I've got to meet a lot of great people in the horse industry. And, and I think you're dead on. We need to find these like-minded individuals and we all need to get on the same page and, and kind of get the momentum rolling on this. Cause I think it's an exciting time to be involved in horsemanship with the advent of the internet and all this stuff and social media. Right. I mean, we have a huge access to some of the most phenomenal horsemen that have ever walked this earth. Um, now is the time to start stretching our, stretching our wings a little bit and, and bringing, bringing some, the horse back. Yeah. Bringing some exposure into, to it. Right. Bringing the horse back into society. I think, I think we could, if we start bringing the horse back into society, we start bringing the horse back into people's lives. I, I truly believe the horse is going to be, the horse is going to be, society's going to change in a good way. I really oh, absolutely. There's no way it couldn't. There's no way it couldn't. So, well, Jeremy, keep, I, sh- I sure appreciate all your time today. And uh, I know we've gone on for a little while, but you guys are doing I, amazing I, things. I'm glad you're sharing it. Uh, look forward to speaking with you. Do you have any parting words or anything that you want to share with folks? You know, we've covered some of the programs and some of the folks backing your program, but is there anything else that you would like to share with folks or help educate or a parting message for anybody? Well, one is, is people, I get a lot, well, how can I help? And, and it's hard, it's hard to ask for money, but you know, we do this all, it's, it's all nonprofit. We don't, I don't make a living. I'm not, I'm not paid. I don't get, I'm thankful enough to have a wife that allows me to do this until we can get to a point where I do make a little bit of money. Um, and this is my full-time job. So basically I volunteer 60 hours a week for nothing, <laughs> for no money. Um, no, no say, definitely ain't for nothing. It's, it's not for nothing. Um, and so people ask how they can help out, spread the word. And if, if you can, if you can donate, 10 bucks, 15 bucks. People don't fully comprehend how far that'll take us. We have a monthly recurring giving program. It's called 10 bucks for Chuck. If you start that, we'll send you a t-shirt in the mail. And that $10, that $10 a month, it adds up. And we're at the point now where we're basically, we're getting close. My goal, I've, I've wanted to be able to get to a point where we can cover our feed for a month through that program. And we're getting close. It'd be nice to get to where we just we can cover our feed because that's one of our biggest one of our biggest expenses. The other thing is is that if you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, you know, you're told a lot that there's people around you that love you that care about you. I've never talked to you. I may never talk to you in person, but you can always reach out to me, and I'm I'll do what I can to point you in the right direction. It doesn't have to be horses. It doesn't have to be cowboying or anything like that. If if you're just struggling and you're trying to find a path, just start trying new things. Just wake up in the morning and try new things. You got to drive forward. I've lost I've lost too many friends and family members to take in their own lives that it it really is on the opposite side of it. It really is. It's not worth it. I've I've been on the side of it from wanting to take my own life, and I I've more recently experienced the loss of a family member who who they took their own life, and 
that eats at you a lot more than someone who just, you know, passes in their sleep. So reach out to someone, reach out to the, if the suicide prevention hotline, talk to them, find something, don't do it. It's not, it's not worth it. There are people out there in this, in this world that love you and care about you and just keep driving forward an inch forward is an inch in the right direction. You don't have to be running a marathon. You don't have to be sprinting. An inch forward is the inch is an inch in the right direction. And just know that that we'll do whatever we can. And our mission is always to take care of the horse and the veteran. That's what we're here for. And if anybody has questions, to to let us know. Well, Jeremy, again, we thank you for your time. Your life of service is more than commendable. God bless you, and and we're looking forward to talking to you down the road. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one. Oh,